All right, hello and welcome to Realcom's first webinar in the series, Operational Technologies That Are Changing the Built Environment. I'm Chuck Neiswanger, your Realcom host for today's webinar, Understanding Today's Sensors and IoT Devices. As companies explore the latest technology offerings that will help them meet net zero targets, guest and tenant safety, health and wellness, and maximizing efficient operation, they want to know what is available, what works, and why it's important. That's what we're talking about today. But before we get started, let me go over a few housekeeping items that will help you have a great webinar experience. First of all, thank you to our live attendees. We do encourage you to use the Q&A box at the bottom left of your screen to submit questions or comments. And it's always better when you're an active participant. We'll try to react to those as quickly as we can. In the handout section, you'll find more detailed bios of our panelists. And shortly, you'll see uh, today's slide deck. We had to do a little update and it'll get posted uh, pretty quickly. For the best webinar experience, we do recommend closing out any other internet applications, especially streaming videos. They do cause some level of interference with the video. And we have an outstanding panel, so you wanna be able to see and hear exactly what they're bringing you today. If you are experiencing any technical issues with connectivity, sound, video quality, anything like that, the best thing to do is to disconnect and then click on the webinar link again. You can also email Ian Thompson at ithompson, that's I-T-H-O-M-P-S-O-N, at realcom.com for help during the event. But don't worry, you will see a link to the recording so you won't miss anything. If, and I've included on this slide, I've included my email address. So if you're watching this as a recording and you think of questions after the panelists have already gone home, you can just send them to me and I'll forward them along. This educational webinar is sponsored by our outstanding sponsors, including Carrier Bound, who's a suite of connected solutions and a cloud-based digital platform that enables real-time intelligent outcome-based results that make buildings more efficient while providing occupants with confidence in the health and safety of their indoor environments. IBIS offers a full suite of products and services to support clients at the single building or global enterprise scale. Their expertise includes occupant health and wellness, productive environments, space utilization, energy optimization, and a lot more. You'll see a video shortly that'll give you some more information on that. Johnson Controls is a global leader in smart, healthy, and sustainable buildings. With a history of more than 140 years of innovation, Johnson Controls delivers the blueprint of the future for industries such as commercial real estate, but also healthcare, data centers, and beyond. Retransform is a professional services firm focused on helping real estate companies make smarter, more profitable decisions with expertise in prop tech, managed servers, and consulting to the industry across the globe. They are recognized as a world leader in digital collaboration. And the Detection Group is the leader in water leak detection for commercial buildings with its cutting-edge FM-approved Trident technology. They work hand-in-hand -hand with customers to ensure every installation is tailored to their specific needs. We are grateful for the contributions by these technology partners to our industry, to Realcom, and to helping us educate viewers in sessions just like these. So be sure to include them in your vendor or evaluation process when you're looking for these kind of services. Our moderator today is Joe Amador. He's Managing Director at Amador Consulting. Welcome, Joe. We're waiting for Joe to come on. There he is. Thanks, Chuck. Nice to be here. 
All right, good to see you. You have a great panel, lots to discuss. So I'll get out of your way and uh, I'll join you at the end. We'll wrap it up. That's great. Thanks, Chuck, for the intro. Right. Thank you. It's good to speak to everyone. Um, we have a great panel and I'll get to the panel in a moment. Uh, my name is Joe Amador. Uh, I work at Amador Consulting. We focus on product market strategy uh, services for vendors, for investors, for acquirers of businesses, and then also some owners and operators. Um, so a lot of the work we do is looking at various technology categories, assessing those technology categories. We're just helping those firms themselves chart a path in the market. I wanted to make a couple quick comments before we jump into the presentations, the discussions. Uh, one, it, it's it, you know, we have a fairly wide market view given that we're working with all the key stakeholders. And this has been a very interesting year. I think uh, at a macro level, you've definitely seen a pullback in prop tech investment, which in some ways has slowed the pace of new market entrants. That might actually make it easier to identify solutions simply because there's fewer out there or there's fewer that, that really have risen to the top. Uh, one of the key goals here is to help you participants better understand what are the operational technologies, what are the IoT technologies today, and what is available. Uh, so, so we're seeing that. Obviously, the commercial real estate market is in a bit of a, a big question mark over how many people come back to the office, what do the leases look like, what do the buildings uh, financials look like. So that's something we're watching very closely as well. Uh, climate tech, which is, is also very related to what we're discussing today, that has had a bit of a pullback as well, though not as much, and it seems to have happened a little bit later uh, in, in the cycle than, than some of the prop tech. Uh, and also, a, a lot of people, even myself, in our monthly newsletter, were predicting a, a, a wave of M&A coming into 2023, and, and that really hasn't materialized as much. Um, that may happen in the future. Uh, but we haven't seen as, as much. There has certainly been some M&A. There, uh, there are some mergers, some acquisitions, uh, but just not as much as we would have expected. Uh, I would say that with, with all of that said, there's still a lot of innovation. There's a lot of interesting products. There's a lot of interesting ways to approach data collection, data analysis, and then the action that you want to take to actually deliver better operations, lower energy consumption, longer equipment life, some of those core goals that you probably have in mind. Um, so by no means are we trying to poo-poo the industry or say, you know, there, there's a lot of problems here. Um, but I would say that there are also some open questions. How do you build your tech stack? Uh, is that by use case? Is that a end-to-end -end solution? Um, you know, there are some, some offerings out there that are very point-focused. There are some offerings that are a little bit wider, more end-to-end. -end. Those are questions that I hope we can somewhat answer to some degree on this, this panel. But there are also just bigger questions that, that you may want to have discussions internally. Um, you know, so so I think that that's something that we'll touch on as well. You know, this this webinar, just to wrap up, we have practitioners. We're going to move um, to, to Anna Rawson in a moment. Uh, we have vendors. We have various stakeholders across the smart building and kind of operational technology landscape. Uh, so the goal here is education. The goal here is to give you a perspective of how do some owners and operators deploy these solutions? What value have they received out of these solutions? And then identify a couple of, of solutions that are out there in the market today. Um, so with that, uh, I would also encourage you, just like Chuck said, if you have questions, you can ask them anytime. I will see those, uh, the 20 minutes that we have at the end for open discussion. My goal is to have uh, an open discussion with audience questions. Um, so please feel free to, to chime in. Um, I think with that, we're, we're ready to bring Anna on. Um, and, and Anna, I'd love to uh, speak a little bit more. So Anna is the Director of Facility Technology and Innovation at GSA. Anna, maybe to start, if you'd just like to do a quick intro, and, and maybe for those who, who don't know, you could introduce GSA as well. Sure, certainly. Thank, first, thank you for having me. Um, GSA is responsible for three things. First, managing the federal real estate through the public building service, which is where I work. 
uh, providing procurement services through the federal, agent, federal, federal agencies, through the Federal Acquisition Service, and then providing IT services to federal agencies as well. For the public building service component, we have about 8,400 facilities, 1,500 of which are on the own side, uh, that are spanning in, in different communities, 2,200 uh, communities in the United States and U.S. territories. Of that, almost 500 of those are historic properties, so that's another unique challenge that we often face. And so my team in particular uh, leads and manages the Smart Buildings Program, as, as you noted, as well as the Advanced Metering Program. We also manage the National Computerized Maintenance System, NCMMS, Operational Excellence, where we partner with our uh, uh, project delivery and architects and engineers, and then manage the Center for Emerging Building Technologies, which includes the Green Proving Ground and the Applied Innovation Learning Laboratories, which just launched last year. Um, would you... I can unpack that a little bit more. Yeah, I always tend to think of GSA, the headline being world's largest landlord. Um, but I think getting into a little more detail, I think would be very interesting just because uh, the, my takeaway is you have a very wide perspective, type of building, type of technology you need to apply to those buildings, uh, maybe even dynamics of just how many staff do you have in those buildings versus it's a remote building, hard to get there. So yeah, please, please keep going. Yeah, so my team in particular, we're very focused on specifically the operational technologies, what we're calling building monitoring control systems, and even more so those network connected systems. So we have about 623 buildings at this point that are network connected to our GSA network. And then uh, as far as those systems go, we also offer, as I mentioned, NCMMS, portfolio-wide facility management applications that help manage our uh, portfolio. So we have... Uh, you know, started this journey back in 2003 by installing advanced meters. We're now up to 2,300 meters, and we expect mm -hmm. more installations of, through the Inflation Reduction Act uh, based on the Energy Act of 2020. We're continuing to build on our GSA link platform. We're up to 132 buildings at this point, anticipating expanding up to 150 by next year. And then just our NCMMS program, continuing to evolve that as well, just to make sure that our um, final end users or operators uh, you know, continue to use that as the data warehouse for facilities management. Mm -hmm. uh, we also have the Green Proving Ground where we're evaluating emerging technologies. We've had uh, about 51 built, uh, reports published to this point, over 100 technologies evaluated. So uh, focusing on deploying those that are proven through the portfolio. Yeah, and, and the, the GSA link product or, or a solution that's your your fault detection and diagnostics uh solution for the for, for the por the national portfolio or those buildings the 132 you said that are on on the gsa link is that is that correct yes that's correct it's our fault detection and diagnostic solution we've also built it out to do a number of other use cases including reporting needs and you know during COVID, it became especially important for some of our analysis yeah yeah, yeah of course um and then uh in terms of the CMS, CMMS product, I think CMMS is interesting in that you have cases where each building has its own CMMS, and maybe that's the legacy, just this was purchased uh, at some point by the facility manager, but, but you've actually done some work there to integrate across, maybe not all buildings, but a lot of buildings across the nation where you're able to remotely see, maybe look at benchmarking, look at you know trends between different buildings, or just this is, this is a building in Texas that's very similar to a building in Washington State, what can we learn from how they're managing work orders, what work orders, what maintenance they're doing? Is, is that a, a fair uh, spe bit of speculation, if you will? Yeah. 
So for our own portfolio, 1,500 buildings are utilizing our NCMMS. So our own portfolio uses NCMMS. And we yeah. actually deployed NCMMS back in 2017 after our fault detection and diagnostic system. And then we integrated the two. So as uh, faults are detected through GSA link, they enter the workflow into NCMMS okay. so that our operators can act on it. Got it. Got it. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's a bit of a connectivity between the, the platforms or the solutions you're using to streamline exactly. across the board. Yeah. Um, which is interesting because that in some cases is, is not always something you think about, not you GSA, but a early adopter of some of these technologies. I've heard word of mouth or just from, from individuals I work with or talk to, we didn't realize that really the data in this platform really needs to get to this other platform for us to actually close the loop, if you will, to address that problem, to, to uh, fix whatever might be broken. Right. Like the more you dive into the data, the more opportunities you find and really right. you to want to integrate more and more. So. Right. Um, I guess uh, kind of another question, what are generally some of the, the challenges the building owners, uh, maybe as opposed to the engineers, are, are facing as, as more more vendors introduce products? Uh, obviously, the goal is design or improving operations. I think that's absolutely uh, a, a valid goal. And I think there's a lot of solutions that actually do that. But I, maybe you could speak to, from a building owner perspective, some of the challenges you've seen. Right. So I, if I had to boil down the challenges, it probably would be in three different buckets. It would be around cost, and it would be around people, because people are a big component. The technology is one thing, but it comes back to people in my perspective. Uh, and then just the evolving landscape of the technology, along with cybersecurity uh, challenges mm -hmm. that we have to constantly plan for and strategize against. So as far as costs are concerned, I mean, this really expands from like initial installation all the way through the operational costs for those um, solutions, you know, planning for aging infrastructure, modernize it, and then mm -hmm. being attentive to our IT security requirements and what it takes to bring on the systems in an appropriate way. Yeah. Um, there's uh, always limitations on like any organization. <laughs> we have to make sure to balance uh, the checkbooks and make sure everything makes sense that we're investing into. Uh, which is challenging, but we're in a unique period right now where our administrators are saying, you know, money and, and mission are meeting the moment uh, with the Inflation Reduction Act. And so yeah. uh, we have an opportunity uh, through the $975 million that's been allocated to GSA for emerging and sustainable technologies to really move the needle in this area and drive towards smarter and more efficient buildings. And we plan to partner with private industry, really stretch the dollar and planning to use performance contracts. Uh, through emer uh, energy savings performance contracts, ESPCs, or utility um, mm -hmm. energy savings contracts, UESPs, to really stretch that through private capital as well. That makes sense. Though there's there's been a big trend towards energy savings contracts, uh, ener energy performance contracts, energy efficiency as a service is another term you sometimes hear. Um, can Can you also speak to Anna just some of the you know how, how you're using products solutions technologies generally uh, in the built environment, of course, uh, to streamline operations and, and what that looks like uh, to GSA itself? Yeah, the, um, let me kind of go back to the last uh, question just briefly. Uh, as oh, far sure. as the people component, one particular aspect of this is really critical is just training and education across the organization. They can't just mm -hmm. be our you know, smart building program managers expected to know everything. We really have to partner with our project delivery groups and architects and engineers and really have pressed uh, what we're calling Sonic, so S being secure, O being open protocol, N being normalizing the data, which we have requirements around, 
integrating I, uh, the systems and converging them on the network. So uh, that's really important. We've uh, rolled out training. We just completed Essentials of Technology training where we've trained over 1,300 people in the organization on our approach, uh, really trying to drive consistency and deployment of uh, in technologies in our facilities. And then the evolving nature of ITOT, I mean, we're dealing with everything from planning from IPv6, you know, as well as RSTP loops. And it's um, it's a constant churn. Like, right, you figure out one problem and then you have to figure out the other piece of the puzzle that'll help uh, meet the need at the, at, for the future need, especially. Um, we're working to transition to a zero trust architecture as well, which has been critically important. We've installed a number of sensors and we have many already in enforcement mode. So um, sticking to that North Star, I think, is especially critical, and then it helps us yeah. to drive towards streamlining the operations, which um, I can touch on next, if you'd like. Yeah, um, I think, you know, it, it, in, in the last minute, I think it would be interesting to hear about that. Um, I also wanted to give, an, and you can share a, a little reference. You mentioned the Green Proven Grant, Grant Program and, and the, I think the 50-some reports. For anyone listening, those reports are publicly available. They, they look at specific technology categories, and they're actually comprised of, we've done a real world test, this is what we learned. I've always found those to be extremely valuable. And I, I think the streamlined operations question is still very relevant, um, but but the green proving ground is something I just wanted to mention because uh, it, it, it's an excellent program overall. Yeah, thank you. We, we, um, we use it as a pipeline for our smart buildings program. So mm -hmm. validate it there first, you know, it's helping us meet some of our sustainability objectives, especially our aim for net zero by 2045 operational emissions. Um, and then now our focus is around continuing to focus on the end user experience through our unified user interface initiative. Mm -hmm. uh, so we'll be implementing that to bring together different systems, you know, just like any other organizations with a lot of different solutions out in the market, you especially end yeah. up with this tool does this and this other does this other thing. Uh, from the end user, that becomes really hard to balance in their day to day. So uh, that with more granular data from smart sensors, um, and, and combination with continuing to build on our GSA link platform, uh, it's testing out machine learning and some uh, AI strategies with, in partnership with the national lab uh, is helping us to now look at auto correction through GSA link in order to yeah. really drive more immediate action. That makes sense. That makes sense. Um, yeah, I think th this was great. We will bring you back, Anna, um, for the, the group discussion. If anyone has a question for Anna, please put it into the chat. The, the one quick takeaway I have, Anna, from, from your discussion and our Q&A, this isn't a single thing or single decision that GSA has made. This is really a, a probably multi-year effort to transform your operations. Obviously, you have a very large portfolio. Not everyone on this call will have a portfolio, even a tenth or a fifth or a tenth or a, a you know a 20th the size of, of your platform. But I think a big takeaway for me listening to you speak and providing all this insight is it wasn't one thing we did. It wasn't one solution we deployed. It wasn't one procurement process. It was a long-term effort that involved a lot of those. Sometimes you have to zoom out to look, go forward, right? So yeah, it's important yeah. to look at how things work together and how at the end of the day, people can act on it. So. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for sharing uh, your wisdom and we'll, we'll speak to you uh, in a little bit at the end of the, the webinar. Thank you, Anna. And, and now the, the next speaker is Brad Colt, uh, Intelligent Building Strategist of HGA. And I'll let Brad come on to the camera. Um, hey, Brad, how are you? Good morning. Hey, good morning, Joe. Afternoon, if you're on the East Coast. Uh, I'll let you uh, go through your slides, and I'll come back in a few minutes, and we can do a little Q and A. 
That sounds good. I'll try and get through my slides and leave some time for Q&A. So uh, like Joe Great. said, I'm Brad Kalt. I'm an intelligent building strategist at HGA, and I'm also the founder of the Building Intelligence Group that brings people together in their local markets to unite around intelligent buildings. Uh, HGA is an integrated architecture and engineering firm. Our founders believed strongly in unifying those practices of engineering and architecture so the two could inform each other. Uh, during our prep call, Joe mentioned he doesn't know if people really think about engaging an architecture engineering firm when they're thinking about operating an intelligent building. Uh, that might be true, uh, but I'm going to share some ideas that I hope will make you think differently about what architecture engineers do and our focus on operations. So throughout this presentation, I'll refer to architecture engineers or AEs. That's not intended to only refer to integrated architecture engineering firms like HGA. It really applies to any team of architects and engineers delivering intelligent building solutions. So what do we think of when we think of AE design firms? These are our founders uh, who were uh, 70 years ago. Hopefully we aren't thinking about uh, the same kind of uh, mentality we had 70 years ago, right? We know architectural engineers, we design beautiful buildings. We can put in all of the great things that make them operate and we enable them to be smart. But wh why should you think about an architectural engineer as a partner for the entire life cycle of your building? Uh, well, design and construction only accounts for a small percentage of the total building cost and CapEx is the majority of the life cycle cost by far. So we'd be foolish to ignore our operations. We'd be doing a huge disservice to our clients and to our own practices. So uh, as we'll discuss, AEs are able to leverage the operational technology data sets to inform our designs, and we can consult around the operations and maintenance with the owners after buildings are turned over. I'm gonna skip through a few of these to get us through to uh, some discussion time. So. Um, this is the AIA framework for design excellence. Uh, AIA is the architectural uh, community organization. Uh, so this is not just HGA, this is what the, the uh, kind of world of architecture thinking. And they're more focused on operations than you may realize. Uh, if we zoom into this, uh, the, the framework for design excellence uh, really has a majority of categories that can impact operations. Buildings are responsible for about 40% of global energy consumption and about one third of global greenhouse gas emissions. And so architects recognize our uh, social responsibility to make sure we're doing our part to combat that climate change and provide the best experience for building occupants and operators. Building rating systems that many of us are probably familiar with, they have a lot of elements that focus on operations, encouraging things like sustainability, resilience, well being. And we're seeing more electrification and decarbonization making their way into those standards and into the uh, expectations that our owners have. So, um, you know, in addition to architectural engineering design, many of our engineering firms also have in-house practices that focus on uh, building operations. So some engineering firms, that's all they focus on, commissioning, energy optimization, lean engineering, research and sustainability. We really focus on people, process, technology and space as part of the holistic design. So how do we use some of those operational technologies for informing our designs? I wanna share a, a little bit of a story about uh, post-occupancy evaluation that we did for a recently remodeled space as we're bringing people back after uh, COVID to uh, start working in a more hybrid environment. So that traditional post-occupancy evaluation uses a clipboard and paper. Uh, and you know now 
when we have real-time sensors that are going to be placed in buildings, we get more continuous data that's more consistent. So when we did our remodel, we had the luxury of being able to start with one floor that we remodeled, and then we we're going to take that template and do it on the next floor. So we designed, we rearranged, everything was very flexible. Uh, then we observed. We surveyed people, we optimized, we reconfigured, then we repeated that process until we had something we thought was a very good fit that we then applied to our, our next floor remodel. And um, we had that luxury of being able to remodel in stages. Uh, you don't always have that. Being able to have that data available in real time is something that really is helpful uh, when you're able to work with an architect and say, okay, here's how we use our space. What do you advise for us to do with it? Sorry, I'm having a hard time with the slide deck. There we go. Um, you know, of course, nobody's putting in a sensor network just so that architects can do a post-occupancy evaluation. There's an expense to installing and operating those systems, and they typically have to serve multiple purposes to have a return on value. So conference room utilization is another helpful metric to help owners operate the building and to inform the design team. Uh, knowing how many occupants are in a room and how that room is used will help dictate the size, types, quantities of different meeting and collaboration spaces. So as an architect engineer, we'll be able to advise the client how to configure those spaces to prioritize the investment and having that data at the occupants and, and uh, owner's fingertips lets them be able to self-manage. In restrooms, uh, operations might want to know how frequently those restrooms are being used. So scheduling uh, cleanings can be done based on throughput rather than a schedule. And you can work that around peak hours so you're not interrupting people. Uh, architect engineers, we might want to know if we can get down to fixture level data, uh, how many people are using those sinks and which sinks are they using? And we find out if people are using the sink closest to the door, um, you know, where should we be locating the paper towel dispensers, the hand dryer locations to maximize convenience and eliminate traffic flow bottlenecks? Uh, during lean engineering, we'll uh, try and understand traffic patterns and sometimes behavior patterns to design spaces and processes that limit wasted steps. And traditionally, that's a, a clipboard and paper task that just doesn't scale. Uh, so now with automated Sensors, you know, or with, with uh, intelligent sensors in a building, we can automate this process a bit more easily and get more granular data. And I want to speak a little bit about the consulting work that engineers do directly with building operators uh, who are very busy people. You know, they're tasked with doing more with less, and they often rely on engineers to augment their teams to help improve operations across multiple dimensions. So one of those things that an architectural engineer can do is to participate in energy optimization. I uh, like be looking at equipment and making sure that it's working, like commissioning or recommissioning, and uh, you're looking at control sequence optimizations. Uh, these things are difficult to do, and having some of those tools uh, available, like uh, fault detection and diagnostics, helps us to be able to do root cause analysis. And you look at that software, it's not always going to give you the root cause. It's something you have to kind of dig into and understand how to use that data, how to apply that, and understanding how the building works and how we want it to work. Uh, so it's another tool in our toolkit to be able to help us narrow the investigation, uh, save time and money, and get to operating the building more efficiently and effectively. So that continuous commissioning, it doesn't replace the need for retro commissioning. It just helps us enhance those services.
Now with electrification and grid interactive buildings, the operating sequences are uh, something you could optimize for energy savings or you could choose to operate for cost savings, which might always be the same thing, or for comfort. So creating those sequences is not a trivial task. And it takes a lot of collaboration uh, with the building operator who knows the idiosyncrasies of the building and an engineer with the expertise and the best practices to help fine tune. Uh, also, engineers help you save money. Uh, we help our clients identify rebates from utilities. And as Anna mentioned, the Inflation Reduction Act has some potential for big savings to offset investment in energy efficient technologies, which often include intelligent building technologies. So uh, the next session, uh, part two of this series is going to have some more case studies. And in the meantime, I hope I've convinced you that architectural engineers have many roles to play during the design and life cycle of a building. Joe, how are we doing? We have any time for questions? Yeah. Hey, Brad. Uh, I don't think we do have time for questions. We have received both through Anna's presentation and Brad's presentation a number of good questions, and we have a full 20 minutes to go through them at the end of the webinar. So, Brad, I think what we'll do is bring you back uh, for that last 20 minutes. Um, but this was a really good uh, point of view. I also think architects and engineers, very significant role to play, but are not always thought of at, at the top, as, as you noted from our discussion yesterday uh, to prep for this. Uh, so I think uh, that, that was great and, and we'll bring you back uh, uh, you know, for the last discussion that we're having. Looking forward to it, thanks. Thanks, of course. Um, and, and with that, we're going to have a, a short message um, from uh, ReTransform. Secure, a digital twin platform for the built environment, which captures and displays sensory data from IoT devices, providing real-time insights into spaces. Secure allows for detailed information to be displayed comprehensively by offering map views of all linked devices and sensors, as well as graphs, heat maps, and even custom alerts and notifications. It monitors air quality, occupancy rates, water leaks, waste management, carbon emissions and overall energy consumption, keeping any space in an optimal condition and supporting ESG requirements. Great. And, and I think with that, Rohan Bolshandani, uh, good to see you, uh, founder at ReTransform. I will let you do a quick intro if you would like, uh, and then you can move through your slides and I'll see you in a few minutes. Sure. Thanks very much, uh, Joe. Uh, it's, a, it's an honor to be here. Uh, by way of background, ReTransform provides solutions to the real estate industry across North America, Europe, the Middle East, and Asia Pacific. I thought to share some insights based on customer interactions uh, across these geographies for our digital twin solution, which is called Secure. Uh, Secure is focused on existing building stock and the bulk of which are older, uh, perhaps analog buildings, uh, often including class B and class C buildings. Okay, so I think uh, Brad in the previous uh, discussion mentioned that, uh, you know, the built environment accounts for about 40% of, uh, of carbon emissions. Uh, so across the world, governments have agreed to reduce carbon emissions. Uh, by 2050, the COP goal aim is to reduce building carbon emissions by about 80%. Uh, what's interesting to note is that 80% of the buildings that will exist in 2050 
already exist today. Uh, so how do we get these existing buildings to reduce their carbon emissions? Uh, to do so, we need to have measurable data. Uh, at present, the majority of the buildings that we work with are analog with little or no data uh, available. Building data is thus incomplete, of low quality, and full of anomalies. And so one needs to embark on a journey to digitize these buildings, essentially uh, first digitize, uh, only then we can decarbonize. Okay, so the process begins with an assessment of the level of smartness of a building. Buildings also have various stakeholders, you know, such as tenants, property, facility, asset managers, etc. So we need to get some alignment of goals. Uh, once the common goals are established, we can then undertake a smart retrofit to begin generating data from the buildings. Uh, we start with analog buildings with limited data and aspire towards fully digitized buildings with a functional digital twin and automation. So once we have a steady stream of building data, its digital twin can then come to life. We can then use this to trigger automations. For example, if an external door is detected as open on a cold day, we can automatically trigger an intervention to close it either physically or remotely. Uh, this will typically have an impact on the HVAC energy usage. Another example is to optimize thermal comfort to maximize human productivity. Ultimately, we want to leverage the data to improve operations and productivity. Uh, one of the points that Brad also made was uh, interventions by architects and designers based on data. Uh, so here, what we like to say is that we allow the data science to influence the building science. Uh, moving on to uh, some of the measurements and reporting of the CO2 emissions, uh, there are two primary areas that one needs to understand. Uh, for the first one is the embodied CO2, which is the CO2 that was emitted during the construction phase of the building and any subsequent refurbishment work. Uh, and then the operational CO2, which is what the building generates through ongoing operations. Uh, unfortunately, in the case of legacy buildings, uh, which were constructed several years ago, the embodied carbon information is often not available. And so we have to reach out to, you know, to the architects, the engineers and construction companies to assist with recreation of, uh, of the BIM models uh, to estimate embodied carbon based on construction materials that were used at the time of construction. Uh, once all aspects of the building operations are understood, operational CO2 can also be measured. A major portion is from electricity consumption, which is a scope two emission in buildings. Uh, about 70% of the EUI or the energy use intensity, which is really the energy use per square foot, comes from HVAC and lighting. And so if one were to focus just on these two areas, the majority of scope two carbon emissions uh, from energy usage can be measured. Uh, there is an increased impetus for ESG compliance for companies of a certain size. Uh, this illustration explains the Corporate Sustainability Reporting Directive, or CSRD, in the European Union, which came into effect uh, this January. Here, the reporting requirements fall into three buckets. So there's climate change, or the E, the human rights, or the S, and business conduct, uh, which is the G. 
uh, once we have access to this data, submission to the regulatory bodies can be done easily, and which is then used to obtain the uh, certification or uh, in, in Europe, we use the Generation Impact 230 certification, 2030 certification. Uh, so to summarize for our clients, the journey to net zero starts with the identification of goals, uh, followed by a smart retrofit uh, of IoT devices. Then we move on to data analytics to detect anomalies, uh, uh, incorporate automation to trigger interventions to improve operational efficiency, uh, calculate both the embodied and operational CO2 uh, to be compliant with the ESG reporting frameworks, and then that helps us charter course uh, to net zero. Uh, and as there are many stakeholders, each requiring to view data from a different lens, uh, one can display data via dashboards. Here's an example of a dashboard in which we're calculating a billing score for the submission to, to Gresby. Uh, with Gresby, we have the ability to also get information from them about other peer group assets and to benchmark against uh, you know, averages or, or, or our own peer groups. Uh, we also can show scope one and scope two and scope three emissions being captured for submission. Uh, we can then drill down, uh, the dashboards can then be drilled down further, uh, uh, for example, to explain CO2 emissions by scope or by end use. And once a path to net zero has been charted, uh, carbon offset initiatives can also be tracked and reported upon. Thank you. Um, Joe, I'm happy to answer any questions that you may have now or later, or at least try my best to do so. Yeah, we have we have about a minute. So uh, thank you for the presentation. Thank you for introducing us uh, or the, the audience to retransform. Um, I, I think maybe I want to talk about um, you have worldwide clients. You work across the globe. Any observations on how different regions of the world are adopting operational technologies uh, I'm sure you have an interesting lens in just seeing what is happening in different parts of the world. Sure, absolutely. Uh, so we do see observed differences across geographies. Uh, in North America, what we found is that the primary driver uh, is is ROI, so return on investment, whereas ESG compliance are less so. Uh, so clients are looking for measurable efficiency gains, tangible cost reductions. And so most of the operational technology center around human capital efficiency gains, energy reduction interventions, uh, compliance here is secondary. So the IoT sensors that are predominantly used are around energy efficiency, smart lighting, uh, followed by occupancy sensing, space management. Uh, so LIDAR uh, sensors are used to detect presence, uh, movement of occupants within a building in real time, and automatically adjusting lighting, HVAC, and other resources based on the occupancy patterns. Uh, in the EU, uh, the corollary is true. So uh, ESG compliance is really the primary uh, driver in casual conversations with clients mm -hmm. and decision makers. Uh, reduction of greenhouse ga gas emissions is not perceived as a choice. Rather, it's an obligation. ROI right. is secondary. That's a great, great comparison. I think. Um... We'll uh, we'll come back to that uh, at the end, uh, but now we're going to move on um, to our next, uh, well, first a message, but uh, Rohan, thank you for the time today, and, and we'll see you for the uh, open discussion uh, at the end of the webinar. Thanks, Joe. Yes, thank you.
Um, but before we move on, we have a quick message from IBIS. The environment where we work should be a place that makes our comfort, security, health, and productivity the highest priority. The technologies needed to accomplish these results continue to grow in quantity and complexity at an increasing pace. In order for these systems to achieve an optimal workplace environment, they must be integrated with each other for seamless and efficient functionality. To reach these objectives, a master systems integrator is engaged to utilize an elite resource pool of engineers, technicians, software programmers, project managers, and cybersecurity professionals. A successful master systems integrator must be a collaboration partner and an exceptional communicator. The best integrators can respond and adapt at the speed of client requirements, customize the solution freely, and be agnostic to any and all hardware and software providers. Integrated Building Solutions has worked all over the globe, integrated over 24 million square feet of real estate, and have kept our clients loyal by exceeding their expectations for over 22 years and believing what we do is to make the lives of our clients better. Okay, and we're back. Um, Sergey, I'll let you do a quick intro and then go into a couple slides, and then I'll be back in a few minutes. Perfect. Thank you for the thank you for the introduction, Joe. Uh, thrilled to be part of this exciting discussion and be accompanied by such brilliant thought leaders like everyone on this panel. Um, <clears throat> so I'm Sergey Gutkin, Executive Vice President at IBIS, um, and. What we do at IBIS is we're a software firm and we provide smart building products and master system integration services in order to provide remote visibility to disparate systems, reduce operating costs, and enhance the occupant experience. Our flagship software has been on the market for 25 years now and we've been integrating all sorts of different various operational technologies uh, with no preference to you know, a hardware or software vendor into our platform. Today, I look forward to discussing a practical example of how IoT technologies can be effective in reducing operating costs while simultaneously uh, enhancing the occupant experience. I'll also be looking into discussing the recent advancement of how structured IoT data is enabling operational technology integrations with facility software and how this is leading to um, optimized facilities. So to start with, um, <clears throat> in our experience, uh, the, the best results in achieving reduced operating costs um, and ensuring the occupant experience um, <clears throat> is maximized, is realized from developing an, a strategy that uh, utilizes various operational technologies to work towards a common goal or solve, solve a common problem. And one of the problems that we've really been focused in and on over the years is that occupancy levels generally in buildings are really low, yet they are still running as if they're fully occupied based off of building time of day schedules. Now, this leads to unnecessary wasted energy where it's not required. And another way to look at this is ask yourself the following question. Would you run hot water all day just in case you may take a shower at some point? No. And the same applies to running optimized uh, <clears throat> buildings. For this reason, we developed an on-demand energy use strategy that directs energy usage 
only to the spaces of the building of where and where it's needed. So the next time you find an empty room that thinks it's going to a party with the AC on and the lights on, I ask you to shut it down. But when you do shut it down, be mindful not to sacrifice uh, occupant comfort while doing so. After all, you don't want your boss sweating in his office just because you're saving him a couple bucks. And the same thing applies here. You wanna only direct energy when and, when and where it's needed because at the end of the day, we're about saving money, not baking your occupants. So just with this simple strategy alone, you can reduce operating costs by 20%. And from our experience in the real world, that could mean $1 million of savings and a corporate campus. Imagine what you can do with those $1 million if you repurpose them back to your people to boost productivity and get those additional revenues to continue to grow your business. Well, we can help you do just that. So in our experience, uh, another uh, operational technology advancement that we're seeing is the integration of IoT system data with facility software. And we found that this is central to optimizing facility performance. But however, structuring the IoT data from a centralized source like a smart building platform is the key enabler to ensuring that that process works effectively. You see, IoT data enables facility software, things like CMMS and IWMS software to, um, <clears throat> to run more effective because IoT data has what facility software needs is real-time data that enables the specific use cases that the facility software was purchased and installed for. Things like enhancing energy efficiency, improving productivity, and predictive maintenance. You may be thinking to yourself, well, IoT and facility software have already been on the market. Why isn't this more prevalent now? Well, this is because up until recently, when facility software and IoT uh, uh, systems try to communicate, it was similar to a UN conference that didn't have any translators. You can imagine the confusion that arose that would arise if you had all the different countries speaking in different languages, nobody understanding anything and speaking at the same time. So with structuring IoT data, that re removes all of that confusion. And the recent advancement of putting structure to IoT data through what's known as semantic modeling, essentially providing context to the data, is what is supporting the bridge between operational technology and facility software. And our firm, we try to play a pivotal role in this bridge. We serve as a critical component that seamlessly integrates these various operational technologies, and then we consolidate this and organize and classify and categorize this IoT data from our centralized source, the IBIS solution, and ultimately providing a structured foundation that enhances the overall effectiveness of the facility software while reducing the data silos. What we've seen from our practical experience is how this is leading to a much greater adoption of integrations between operational technologies and facility software. This is also helping clients reach their facility performance goals at much faster rates than ever before.
So I do encourage everybody to keep an eye out on how facility software and IoT data integrations are paving the way in the future and uh, open for any questions. Thank you. Back to you, Joe. Thanks, Sergey. Uh, I don't think we actually have time for questions right now, um, but we will bring you back, not actually uh, too far from now, uh, for the last 20 minutes, and we'll have an open dialogue and discussion with all the panelists. Um, thank you for the, the uh, informative presentation. Thank you. And now, before we move on, a quick message from Carrier Abound. Great, and now we'll bring on Okay, and now we'll bring on Tim Johnson from Carrier Bound. Hi, Tim, how are you today? Hey, Joe, I'm doing well, thanks for having me. Yeah, of course, we were just gonna have a, a little dialogue and, and talk through a couple things. Um, maybe to start, if you just can introduce us to Carrier, which I'm sure is a very well-known name, of course, being one of the large HVAC companies, but for those who don't know Carrier, and then more specifically, Carrier Bound. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah. what's interesting is, um, I actually joined a carrier in the middle of COVID uh, in, in late 2020. And um, my background previously had been much more around um, technology. So spent a number of years at Cisco and the software companies really on the technology side of, of developing software and then how do you build out partners and ecosystems. And so what caught my attention about, about carrier, like I think most people think of carrier as an HVAC company, which we are. Um, but Carrier actually is, you know, in the Fortune 500. Um, we have three different business units uh, across refrigeration, HVAC, of course, and then fire and security, um, and like 60 different brands across that. So what I discovered was Carrier has a, a, a breadth of technology uh, across those three different business units. And in particular, in the build environment, um, we have uh, control and automation technology, um, we have various types of technology. And so really what was interesting to me is carriers on this journey of like, not only do we have, you know, great products, uh, well-known products and brands that stand on their own, but the opportunity to then build out digital capabilities and a digital platform to start to bring together um, these disparate components into a, into a platform and digital solution play. And that's really where a bound fits. It's taking kind of our expertise in the build environment, not just in HVAC, but also in controls and automation. And then how do you think about that and deliver a solution to market um, that takes advantage of, of devices and connectivity? Um, and, and then if you really think about the, um, the build environment, every, every building is a snowflake. Um, and so how do you d deliver a digital solution that will take advantage of sensors that are there, whether there are wired sensors wired back into the BMS, so being able to connect to any building subsystem, so whether that's an, a BMS, a lighting system, um, or what have you, and then bringing able to surface that, that data, that information up, normalize the, the data and information, and make that easy for um, building owners, occupants to understand what's happening in those environments, and then ultimately enable other types of applications to take advantage of, the, of that information. So whether that's an FDD app, or in the future, you know, AI and other types of technologies, you know, really how do we start to bring together that, that data and information um, and tie that together? Um, so kind of going back to Carrier, um, one of the things that we're proud about is, is 
really our focus around ESG. We really think our think of ourselves as leader in that space. Um, so driving sustainable operations is is a key component of that. Um, you know, we have goals to be carbon neutral um, by 2030. Um, from a sustainability perspective, our our products and solutions are we're looking to drive out over a gigaton of greenhouse gases uh, reduction by 2030. Um, so we really feel like we're leaders in that space. Um, pretty much all of our technology and capabilities moving forward are really focused um, on that opportunity of like, how do you think about optimizing your environment? So whether that's a, a standalone device like an HVAC system or an entire building or a portfolio of buildings, how, how do you start to bring these things together and really think about that operational improvement and, and enabling that from an overall perspective? That makes sense. Um, in, in terms of a, maybe a bound specifically, I think that's the most uh, uh, relevant product offering for our discussion, although obviously Carrier has, has a wide breadth. Are there key use cases, um, key types of buildings even, or just kind of key you know, value streams that you're most focused on with, with a bound? Um, you, you noted the breadth, of course, but, but maybe there's some areas where you're seeing very high payback or just kind of initial traction. Yeah, in, in initially, like, um, there's there's a lot of value in the portfolio view. So anything from a single, obviously you can do a single building, but certainly portfolio owners, if you've got you know more than one building, like being able to understand and normalize information and benchmark across across your portfolio is very important. So we're seeing a lot of interest in that. So I think that's one area of of opportunity. And also um, one of the powers of a digital platform like Abound is being able to drive correlation across different different data types. So um, as I mentioned, like being able to bring in, you know, uh, information from the BMS system, you might already have some, some sensors wired in like CO2 sensors, um, yeah. temperature, things of that nature. But then how would you complement that with, with, uh, with IOT sensors and uh, IOT networks? So things like occupancy, um, maybe metering information, whether that's water and power, if you want to get a more granular view and indoor air quality. So we see this opportunity like, plug into what's there, what's available, service that information, mm -hmm. and then you can complement that with additional IoT sensors of various types and start to be able to correlate information across indoor air quality and occupancy, for example. And then how do I optimize across these two, two variables um, that are often at odds with one another, right? So yeah. traditionally buildings were built to be very efficient, um, keep the indoor or keep the outdoor air out, right? And optimize for yeah. efficiency. Um, but at the end of the day, buildings are meant for people. And when you do that, that actually makes the indoor air, air environments not so healthy. So how do you optimize between, you know, people and environments? Uh, we think of it as a conscious environment. Ultimately, how does a building, you know, think about its its occupants um, and, and circulate air based on occupancy as an example. So you as a very a couple of different variables, right? And then you offset that with the desire to be more energy efficient. So there's ways to get at that. So, you know, looking at occupancy, doing different changeovers to make sure you've got air changeovers and so forth. Um, and then also looking at the overall portfolio view, right? And optimizing across these different types of operations. So we really, we really think that's where um, we see a lot of opportunity. Um, obviously the, the big pain points are around energy use, you know, like, as we know, like 40% of the energy use typically is, is on the HVAC side, heating, cooling side of a building. So if you can optimize across these different variables, but not at, not at the risk of your occupancy, right, of, of your occupancy and, and be able to do that. And, and, you know, it's a great point. And to your point as well, uh, the 40% the, the heating and cooling, that's also ventilation, right? So yeah. like just the, the movement, a large building, the movement of air, bringing in outside air, moving 
uh, air to freshen. I mean, it's good for people, of course. It's 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 a fresher way to run the building, but there's a lot of both just fan require fan requirements to move the air, and then also the conditioning requirements of if you cool air, but then you're cycling it more. There's in the summer at least there's more air that you have to cool to replace the air that is being moved out of the, the space. So it's it, it's interesting that that we have these these kind of competing priorities is maybe too strong of a word, but we want fresh air. We want a good place for uh, uh, our employees. And, and I think you touched on that very well. Yeah. Um, and just to add to that, well, what happens yeah. like if you've got fires like you have in New York? So now all of a sudden exactly. you want to be aware of that and not not bring in that outside air because it's actually more unhealthy than than the air inside the building. So exactly. you know, these sorts of variables make it a very interesting opportunity and being able to correlate across different data types, understand that this conscious environment and how do we optimize with that, uh, with yeah. that in mind. Yeah. It's it's a good it's a good example of just why dynamic controls or just dynamic systems in buildings are important in that you think of a traditional building automation system sequences set points schedules well a wildfire is probably not something that you put into the schedule uh, you know it's just <laughs> oh when there's a wildfire uh, I mean maybe now that is starting to happen a little bit but being able to dynamically change things based on you know wildfire is one good example but. Yeah, and, and that's sort of the evolution and this journey that we're on that we see with with Abound as a platform is is one there's data. So first of all, how do you how do you get to the data? Understand the data, um, augment the data that's already there by adding additional sensing capabilities, um, harnessing those insights, so normalizing the data and start to see correlations. And then ultimately, how do you translate that into to more autonomy, right? So yeah, yeah. thought process is if, if a car can drive itself, then then why not a building? So how do we start to drive in that direction yeah. to you know, um, enable higher levels of automation and capability that uh, sort of sort of makes this this environment to be more conscious and and take more control over itself um, and optimize itself. Yep, I think we have one more minute before we have to move, but maybe you can speak a little bit to Tim the the role of partnerships, collaboration, uh, and just driving kind of overall this this change. Uh, and just the deployment of technologies uh, in, in, in the... Uh, yeah, exactly. I, I mean, I think uh, at, at a top line level, you know, uh, buildings are non-homogeneous. They've got, you know, various types of control systems, equipment inside. They probably already have some levels of sensors and other devices that they may already deployed. So um, really having an agnostic approach from a, from a technology perspective. Um, and being able to take advantage of that. So, you know, there's no one company that can do it all, right? So that yeah. really by, by its nature means, hey, we, we need to have partnerships. We need to have an ecosystem. We need to be able to plug into what's there and service customers where they are. So there's specific requirements depending on customer use cases. And then you also have regional differences, right? So as a global company, you know, the requirements um, in one region or country might be different than the next. So, you know, there are going to be different ecosystems. Um, how do we you know, plug into that and kind of optimize that for customers and deliver the most value that we can? And so yep. that's really where partners and ecosystems kind of play into that. And that's everything from you know technology partners, application partners, and service partners that actually have to uh, deliver services for customers. It's great, Tim. Thanks. Yeah. We'll bring you back in ten or so minutes for the last uh, the roundtable with every panelist. Uh, but thank you for uh, speaking to Carrier Bound and, and and thanks for the great discussion. Thanks, Jeff. And now we'll have a brief message from Johnson Controls. What defines a space or place? Is it stone or steel or walls? Is it how it makes us feel? Or is there something beyond? Johnson Controls, in collaboration with our customers and partners, 
is leading a fundamental transformation of how spaces and places are perceived and enjoyed. This transformation is taking us beyond buildings. Now, spaces have memory and identity. They become like ecosystems, balancing and responding to the flow of information, services and people. A physical location becomes a kind of stage for digital amenities and learning opportunities. This is how a space comes alive. Spaces and places are opening up to new possibilities. This transformation has a name, Open Blue, a dynamic new space from Johnson Controls. Great, and now I'll turn it over to Vineet. Vineet, good to see you. Vineet Sinha, uh, VP of the Open Blue Enterprise Solutions Unit. Good morning, good afternoon, Joe. Uh, always good to see you. Uh, thank you for having me here, right? In my role as VP of Product for Open Blue Enterprise Solutions at Johnson Controls, I have the privilege of working with customers around the globe in pursuit of their business goals with smart, healthy, and sustainable buildings. In my view, the paradigm of operational technologies and sensorization continues to evolve as customers see a greater need for agility in their business operations, be successful in meeting increasing expectations of their corporate leadership and tenants, and then meet regulatory and uh, certification needs. The last few years have seen a much greater emphasis on sustainability with decarbonization, right? Which adds on to the pressure of managing energy costs. The number of companies that we have seen with science-based targets has increased almost fourfold in the last two years, but about a third of them continue to struggle to meet their annual targets or even have a clear line of sight towards meeting their goals of, of carbon neutrality in the 2030-2040 timeframe. Now add to this the shadow of the pandemic and greater recognition for healthy work environments, which have increased the appetite for remote monitoring and software-driven optimization but both of which have enabled have been enabled by densification of sensors, but also then add exposure in terms of cyber threats and data breaches. Among all of this, right, as the previous presenters also said, legacy systems deployed widely in buildings and the shrinking skilled workflows to manage them are clearly leading to an increased demand for tech platforms that can act as overlays and simplify the path from building connectivity to data normalization, to insights, and then onward to closed loop action, but with a robust shield of data security and access control. Moving on to the next slide, when we think of small buildings today, it translates into some flavor of integrated subsystems or sometimes system of system integrations, bringing together data from on-prem OD systems, external data sources, and then correlating them to enable useful analytics. Now, connecting occupancy, weather data, indoor air quality to determine ambient conditions of a space would be one such example. But if you take a step back, such correlations are not new to, to this industry, right? Which has adopted building management systems for at least three decades. So while I try to get my slide right here. All right. So coming on to my next slide now, this is where I think the paradigm of this has to be seen as a journey 
that is eager to embark to the next level of operational maturity. With OpenBlue, which is our digital platform for delivering customer outcomes around sustainability, equipment performance, workplace experience, and integrated cyber and physical security, we are deploying several AI-enabled use cases that are helping our customers with energy prediction, managing demand, automating central, central plant operations to optimize for cost and performance, and deliver the right balance of clean air versus energy costs. The success of smart building implementations today, to be honest, is less of a tech challenge and more a function of execution success, which means the need for rapid onboarding of sensors, ensuring data con continuity and contextualization, and then help customers with executing operational process changes to make the best use of the intelligence generated by OpenBlue. The next big frontier on this journey is translating this AI and insights into autonomous operations. This means embedded AI into regular day-to-day -day operations with the ability to control one or more buildings or campuses across water site and air site for HVAC but also other systems like physical access and elevators that could influence traffic movement or parking, lighting, shades, other subsystems that influence tenant experience. So while all of these are operational examples, we should not lose sight of the benefits of auto commissioning and enabling speed and quality in the design and installation phase. So, so to make this uh, more real, right, I wanted to talk about a few use cases, right? Autonomous buildings is not meant to be a fancy term. We, we see autonomous cars and machinery around us. And this is the obvious path when 75% of our customers want a unified view of all building systems, but more than 70% do not have the technical expertise or capacity today to execute on all the smart building insights. Hence, a few use cases to, to simplify them, right? Number one, data health. So from ensuring connectivity and data aggregations in a smart building to the world of autonomous where we would have auto tagging, imputing missing or unhealthy data to eventually produce the right insights and actionable uh, results. Number two, not only adjust set points based on schedule and, and actual occupancy, but also predict occupancy and ambient conditions and auto adjust to maximize energy savings and IAQ. Number three, not only transition to proactive or predictive maintenance, but also equip, uh, adjust equipment set points to prevent unplanned failure and extend equipment life. And a fourth example, understanding dynamic changes in location and preferences for occupants and visitors to optimize their parking experience, indoor navigation, and convenience of selecting the most suitable meeting. Every one of these examples needs the right level of sensorization, intelligence, and then the ability to put all of these in the context of spaces and people. And this is the evolution in operational technology that we see you know, changing the built environment of the future. That's it from me, John. Yes, great, great, Manit, great presentation. Maybe one quick question. We have a minute or two, um, so we'll start. Um, how do companies adopt, maybe some examples, of how can companies adopt auto, autonomous technologies uh, to meet sustainability goals? If, if the goal is improve sustainability, net zero target, for example, where would you say the autonomous technologies that you've spoken to and that other panelists have spoken to really fit in with that core goal? 
Yeah, I would you know try to simplify this in three key steps. The first is define the right goals and priorities, right? Everyone mm -hmm. wants everything, right? But what are we trying to do? Are we trying to save electricity? Are we trying to save water? Are we trying to reduce carbon emissions? Or is it is it purely a cost-led exercise? That you know would define really the right technology, the right stacking and sequencing of deployment, right, to meet those goals. Number two, once the goals are well defined, right, then identify the right prerequisites. Right. This is something that most you know, implementations are failing at, right? That early design work required to identify the right amount of censoring, the frequency and resolution of data, and knowing that your mechanical system configuration can support, right, all the intelligence and autonomous actions that are being uh, generated. And then third is there is no replacement for, for learning, right? So, you know, you activate a technology, right? Pilot it in select areas, audit the performance, learn and adapt from it, right? So it's not a silver bullet of turning a button on, but it's 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 you know kind of you know going through the discipline of of activating autonomous to the point that operators are comfortable letting the technology run the bit. Yeah, that's a great point. The other thing I've seen uh, is timeline, right? If your goal is 30 years out, that can be very challenging. To what does that mean for the next three years, next five years, the next eight Absolutely. years? Um, would you maybe comment really briefly on just from your point of view difference between building automation systems and autonomous building technologies, solutions. Uh, that's a question that keeps coming up, but I think you're in a good position to, to maybe give a quick answer. Yeah, absolutely, Joe, right? Controls is at the heart of Johnson Controls, right? So, so yeah. this has been our bread and butter business. And, and, we, and we see that distinct you know, path of maturity in our customers who want to get onto that journey, right? If I have to do that, again, simply, you know, simple differentiation between a BMS versus autonomous, right? The first point would be operator orientation versus goal orientation, right? So going back to the answer to the previous question, right? Who is the primary persona and what's what's right. driving, right? What the system is meant to do. Number two, the leap from a continuous commissioning mindset to an adaptability mindset, right? Yes, you know, I mean, most systems today, as you know, don't have that same level of continuous commissioning exercise factored into the building life cycle, right? But even those that do still have a lot of dependency on physical parameters, data, or, or tenant input that is captured into the process, right? Yeah. And those things don't work when unplanned events happen, right? So, so the ability to adapt to those changes by using all of that sensor data and then having the technology that will go toggle set points in a way that is optimizing for your stated goals is, is what solves the problem. And then number three is human dependent versus human augmented, right? Mm -hmm. BMSs are still largely either dependent on, on, on the installation technician who has you know, built all the logic blocks or on the operator who might be smart enough to, to leverage the best of the BMS's capabilities. Versus in an autonomous world, the system is intelligent enough. All it needs is augmentation of human intelligence to, to, you know, to find, you know, to work through some of those rough edges, right? Those specific uh, edge case scenarios where, you know, it may not be making the best decisions that a human might make, right? So again, yeah. this technology is evolving, right? I'm, I'm really looking forward to how, how it gets deployed in these companies. Yep, great answer. Uh, I think now we can bring all of our panelists back uh, to the stage or the virtual stage, uh, and we'll do a Q and A. Uh, I'll give a moment. Uh, I will say to anyone who is uh, listening, we've received some excellent questions. We had some prep questions just in case we didn't get any audience questions. We've received a few good ones, so I'm going to go there. 
uh, but please keep asking. Um, I, I first, Sergey, just wanted to go to you and, and maybe to follow up on your presentation. What recent advances uh, in, in operational technologies are providing, from your point of view, the greatest value uh, for optimizing facility performance? Oh, I think you are muted. It got me again. Sorry, Joe. Yep. Uh, now, now you're good. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. So a, a couple things, right? So uh, I believe uh, <clears throat> uh, Brad mentioned uh, people, space, and technology uh, being, you know, very integral kind of strategy. So we're seeing we're seeing how that's really important with linking various operational technologies to work together. Interlink, interlinking where people are in the space to how the building responds is a huge focus of ours. And we're seeing that to be more prevalent and very successful in achieving uh, on-demand energy usage, directing energy to where it's needed as buildings, a lot of buildings uh, have very low occupancy and structuring the strategy of these various top operational technologies to work together is really pertinent uh, and we're seeing uh, a lot more traction uh, on that side of things um, in addition you know facility software integrations with with iot data in general uh, is is really leading the way uh, because those two uh, technologies can really really complement each other they're both there in the building they're both there to support each other so uh, i do think having that structured iot data with Kind of the new standard of semantic modeling and tagging is really providing the context of what's needed for that facility software to really understand um, how to make the most value out of out of that data. Great, great. Um, let's go to uh, panelists uh, and and a audience question we received. Um, this was actually directed to you, Anna, so maybe we go Anna and Brad first, and then I'd love for everyone else or anyone else who would like to speak. Um, you know, how do you um, look at new construction versus existing buildings, and, and how does that get kind of folded into the schedule as a portfolio approach? Um, you obviously have a schedule for building new buildings based on space, based on requirements. How do you balance the goal to decarbonize and improve the technology in your buildings with this kind of parallel path of we're building some new buildings we are probably renovating some buildings and we're uh, dispossessing some buildings i can get us started there joe so we really try to prioritize and working with our um, architecture and engineering and project delivery partners to get our standards right and delivery of the new construction and modernization uh, projects uh, from day one those are prioritized for our fault detection and diagnostic systems prioritized for mm -hmm. advanced metering um, we then, uh, for the broader portfolio, as you said, it becomes a little bit tricky. Like you don't want to pull out things that still have life in them, so to speak. Right. So that's, as we're looking at like electrifying our buildings, that's been a big uh, topic of conversation for us. Like how do we then balance out those projects that have already been in the pipeline and perhaps even designed to a certain extent and then pull them out in order to then plug in um, towards our uh, new, uh, our current objectives and strategy, right? So it, it's still a fine balance. I think 
again, try to keep consistency in our new construction and modernization. And then it comes down to working with the project teams on those specific buildings to see where you have opportunity to maybe slow down the brakes or hit the brakes if needed mm -hmm. to revisit um, the approach or strategy. Um, there are some technologies though, like smart sensors, as long as your building automation system is up to, to par, like you can just install them and work to yeah. update your sequence of operations and then roll them up to portfolio uh, 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 portfolio applications, such as, you know, our fault detection and diagnostic systems or, um, you know, the standards that we have for asset management and NCMMS. So I, I think, you know, get the, keep the data rolling in the same, towards the same location, and then you try to clean up where you can on, on the uh, smaller buildings, older buildings that may need additional investment to round them out. Yeah, that's great. Brad, do you have anything to add from your point of view, this prioritization between existing, new construction, and then I'll, I'll go to, to the, the rest of the panels, but Brad, how about you, anything to add? Uh, yeah, you know, I always say we meet our clients where they're at. And mm -hmm. you know, we know that the vast majority of Build, building stock is existing buildings. And out of that, right. uh, it's a minority of them that have controls in them. So it may be start by adding controls where there are not. It may be optimizing the controls that you have. But I want that all to be part of a holistic program that's looking at what business needs do you have right now mm -hmm. and where are you headed to make sure we're strategizing for that future as well because you could be locking yourself in on point solutions that look attractive to solve this one problem that you have today, but it might not be serving your needs in the future. So bringing together a wide group of stakeholders because so many people touch uh, building intelligence as, as many of the folks presented on here today that um, it's important to make sure that everybody is represented that people understand where uh, one investment might benefit multiple parties and start being able to collaborate around uh, solutions that are going to be you know that have the best return on value i'll say great great does anyone else want to add anything uh we have plenty of questions so we're going to keep going but i'm happy to, to let uh you know sergey or, or tim yeah, I'll just add one point that that we we sort of see kind of this gap between sort of the design and then ultimately by the time it goes out to build. So lots of, that's really an opportunity to make sure you actually plug in technology and and budget for that because like if you think about the cost of an entire building and building that a brand new building and actually implementing some some of that technology is is very incremental, but oftentimes you know by the time it gets to the end of the project, you know it it doesn't happen, right? So. I think making sure that, you know, really thinking about, to Brad's point, that you have a digital capability and that you're actually thinking about that long term and, and, and not taking point solutions, but really sort of thinking about the big picture and designing that in up front and making sure that that actually gets delivered through the project is, is key. Because that does seem to be a gap from kind of like initiation by the time it actually gets built. Yeah. yeah. Great. So I'm going to give really... oh. Anna, so maybe you do the call and then yeah. go to you. Yeah, sorry. Uh, our operational excellence program has what we call our total cost of ownership tool, and we've actually been working to update it to include a carbon component. So Tim's point is really important, looking at it from the financial perspective that obviously aligns with our strategic objectives and reducing carbon. That's a really yeah. good uh, perspective. Yeah, that great. Uh, Vineet? Yeah, so two, two quick points, right? One is that with a lot of uh, real estate customers, we are seeing much more consciousness on retrofit versus reconstruction, right? I mean, the whole carbon embodiment aspect of it right so how they see their their build spaces as a cost element or as a source of asset value and 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 leasing right drives a lot of those priorities right but you know to to tim's point right sensorization planning for it budgeting it for it is is essential but then right sizing the budget right i'm i'm, I'm seeing customers who are doing occupancy sensing four ways for the same space 
right? So, so each of them standalone might have been very attractive, but when you think of it as a system of systems experience and budgeting, budget planning, right? That there is there is a lot more opportunity to to make yeah. that. Makes sense. Sergey, do you have anything or Rohan? Yeah, um, I think Brad made a great point. I mean, when when uh, these different business units are thinking about their investment, they may be coming at it from one from their specific use case. Whereas really we should be vetting out these solutions for possible future use cases. So many times we see space utilization uh, use cases where we want to see how many people are in the space. But the questions of how will this data be shared, what's the frequency of this data, all of those, all the answers to those questions enable future use cases that may not be required at this point in time, but are so critical to understand that at the time of the decision. So you don't end up with what Vineet mentioned with four or five different sensors on the same in the same room because because that wasn't planned thoroughly. So I, I definitely agree that that betting and the proof of concept um, kind of strategy is really pertinent to ensuring uh, kind of a, a solid rollout. Great, Rohan, do you have anything you'd like to add or, or we can move on to the next next question? No, not really. Most of our clients okay. are in the retrofit business, not in the reconstruction. Got it. Maybe here's here's a question that I think everyone on the panel might have something to add. And, and Rohan, I'll let you go first if, you, if you'd like, but we received a few questions on, on the labor shortage of actual uh, operators of buildings, I would actually argue the labor shortage is probably across the entire ecosystem. Service providers, uh, you could even say developers. I know small companies I work with, they're trying to find developers to build the software solutions. Uh, and then of course, most buildings have operators in those buildings that work for that building. Uh, I, I would just be interested in how that challenge is, is, you know, is, is, is that a challenge? Does technology help avoid that challenge? And, and there were some comments during the panel about this. Uh, somebody else asked, you know, how does the labor challenge even impact the ability to hit net zero targets, um, which is was a separate question, but is also interesting. Rohan, just just because you didn't answer the last question, would you like to to go first, and then we can just go around the horn? Uh, sure, absolutely. So the what the digital twin solution actually allows us to do is uh, essentially replicate a lot of the work that a physical facility manager would have to do. So while uh, you know, a, a building manager may be on site at one location with a digital twin solution. He or she can be monitoring multiple buildings at the same time and essentially having an eye on every single aspect of the building, uh, which is monitored by, you know, by an AI or the digital twin and is alerted only to anomalies when, you know, when a certain event is triggered. Mm -hmm. So it certainly does address the, uh, the labor challenge in, in a huge way. Got it. Anyone else, the, the labor challenge, I, I think we have a number of different perspectives. Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in real quick on that, uh, Joey. So we, we see that at Carrier for sure, like even at the equipment level, right? So if you think about installers for HVAC systems, technicians for various yeah. HVAC systems, whether that's residential or even large commercial systems, you know, having having the technicians available to, to service the equipment is, is actually a big industry challenge on top of that, right? So we do see mm -hmm. digital technologies as a capability to, one, you know, help drive automation. Um, this concept of self-healing, whether that's equipment or whether that's a building, being able to like help manage itself, I think is gonna go a long way in that. And then I think to Rohan's point is just really how do you um, make your existing um, staff more effective, right? And and scale across yeah. more and more capabilities. So I think those are the areas where digital capabilities are gonna really help um, close the gap there. Great, um, anyone else? 
Yeah, Joe, I mean, in, yeah. my, in my slides, I was talking yeah, about, right, 70, 70% of customers, right, I mean, that are saying that. So it's it's a very prevalent yeah. problem all over the place, right? So, so you know, for, for many years, we've talked about alarm noise with BMSs. Now we are talking about data noise or insights noise. There's just too much to consume and process, right? Yeah. That's, that's where the whole pitch for autonomous, right? Let the system select those most you know, impactful insights and execute for you, right? That that still is, is in my opinion, the next frontier. Yep. yep. Sergey, did you want to? I agree. I feel like. Oh, oh. Sergey, and then Anna, I'll come to you. Perfect. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to say, from from our standpoint, uh, one of our team members uh, mentioned this phrase, and I think it's really stuck internally. So, uh, software eats hardware, and service eats software. So, you know, we've seen a, a you know overall trend moving away from you know hardware to software solutions and now there's this upsurge of software solutions in our market but the the labor shortage is really pointing out at least from our viewpoint a, a really huge gap in this providing service support you know building operators uh, have you know so much to, to do each day and they really need that that strong service support to augment their day-to-day -day operations and Right now, I think that's just an open uh, part of the market where more and more companies need to step up and provide better, quicker, um, and more service, essentially. Anna? I was going to just add, I mean, it comes back to the end user, the operator, right? How do you make their lives easier? So, uh, again, our auto correction effort that we're pursuing with uh, in partnership with the DOE National, DOE National Lab, I think will help that, as well as our single pane of glass, we're calling the unified user interface to try to bring those different systems together to help simplify their absorption of that information. And then I think there's a lot of potential around chatbots and, you know, our um, NCMMS and some other applications where instead of them having to dig through the information, they can just ask, you know, and, and have the system trying to provide it. So uh, a lot of opportunity, a lot of exciting times ahead. Uh, just maintaining, you know, the principles of open and secure and uh, interoperability and converge. Like we're, we're you know, we're going to get there. It's just going to be a little bit of a challenge, especially on the people side, making sure that people understand where we're going and, and why. Great. We have a few more questions in a little more time. I'm happy to, to let others speak to this one, or I can keep moving on, on other questions. Joe, I want to wrap that topic up quick with an optimistic point of yeah. view that kind of builds on yeah. Anna's um, enthusiasm and the opportunity that's there, right? I think that there is this shortage. It's not going to always remain this shortage. This is something where there's an opportunity to be uh, having new people coming into this industry who are going to be uh, not the building whisperer anymore who can just walk by and know, okay, that fan belt's going to have to get changed next week. They need these digital tools to be able to inform them how to operate these buildings more efficiently. And, you know, I, I, we've got all of our buildings are snowflakes. As much as we hate hearing that, that's typically the case out here. But we're bringing in more and more uh, tools that are standardized around the internet-based, web-based technologies that people are getting trained for. And so I think that's one of the interesting things that's happening. We're not going to get away from back then anytime soon, but being able to bring in more API-based tools that are built on programming languages that we could recruit from a wider pool of talent is something that's going to be an opportunity for us. I know we got folks like uh, Mike Conway's been posting in the chat, Stacks and yeah. Tools doing awesome things in job training right. and bringing people up, making awareness of this industry. So there's a lot of work that has to be done to be able to get to that point, but I want to see that as an opportunity rather than looking at that as something that's a, only a challenge for us. Yep. So we have two or three minutes. Um, 
there there were two questions that I thought maybe I'll try to dovetail them. And I would just love that kind of quick responses if anyone wants to respond. One was just how do small and medium commercial buildings play into the adoption of these technologies? And the other one was where's the average uh, of adoption across building stock? Um, Brad, this question specifically said, you know, you talked about meeting customers where they are. I tend to think of small commercial buildings as being later in the adoption cycle in some cases. I would just open it up. Anyone in, in you know, 20, 15, 20 seconds have anything to share on both or either small commercial buildings or just what's the average like in the market today, not the early adopters? Joe, I'd be happy to share some information. Sure. Uh, so. Um, our solution in particular is for the smaller customers, for the older stock, it can start as little as 20, 25,000 square feet, but for it to make economic sense, typically the minimum works to about eight such buildings for about 200,000 square feet. Uh, the IoT devices themselves are sort of amortized, so a customer would typically just pay a software as a service or what we call a digital twin service uh, as a service fee. Uh, the other thing I would encourage um, some of the audience to do is to check out a website called incentifind.com, which helps developers, property owners, and tenants find money for their real estate mm -hmm. improvement projects. Great. Anyone brief, you know, 10, 15 second responses before we, we start to wrap up? One, Joe, right, from a JCI perspective, we have worked hard over these last few years to narrow down from tens of gateways that we had to down to one edge platform that can scale across this, this building stock, right? And, and that has been a big and a complex investment, but certainly our way of adapting our solution to these different uh, building, you know, scales, use right. cases. Smaller buildings won't want to spend as much on so, many, so much infrastructure. Makes sense. Anyone else want to add anything? Either where do you see the average adoption? or you know, small commercial buildings, what types of solutions are being deployed there? Yeah, Joe, I would just um, encourage people to check out GSA's website around the green proving ground. You know, when we select yeah. test beds, it's not necessarily our brand new buildings. We do have a number of historic properties that we also test on, so that might be a good resource yeah. for uh, That's a great design. one. Good job, Joe. Yeah, and I see Chuck back, so I think we're going to have to wrap. Thanks very much for everyone. This was a fun discussion. Uh, a lot great. of good questions from the audience as well, so thank you for contributing. Yeah, yeah thanks. thanks, man. Thank you to all our panelists. Your contributions are just fantastic. Just lots of information to process. And 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 thank again to our live audience for being so active with the incoming questions. For any of those questions that didn't get answered directly here, I'll send those out to the group and, and with with your contact information, and they can try to get back to you uh, directly if that's if that's going to work. Uh, whether you've joined us live or you're watching this as a recording, we do thank you for tuning in and, and ask you to be sure to register for our next webinar in this cutting edge operational technology series. It's on September the 7th, and that's going to have case studies to illustrate sort of how companies have met these business objectives. A lot of the detail, maybe uh, on some of the more interesting case studies, you'll see that uh, then. Then on September the 14th, we'll start a new series titled Technology Options Across the Wireless Frequency Spectrum. I saw a question come in about wireless frequency and low voltage and uh, other things that we just didn't get to. So I think we're gonna try to address some of that later. Also want to uh, have you consider making your plans for Cortech 2023 and a new offering that Realcom is putting out called Buildings AI. 
It is hosted by Meta in their museum at the Meta campus in Menlo Park. It's November 15th and 16th. Pretty exciting stuff. I've actually seen some of the inside of that uh, museum. It's a fantastic facility. and I think you'd really enjoy it. Again, thanks to all of our panelists, our sponsors, our active participants, and to all of our RealCom followers for being so um, engaged in this community. This is a great community that we just continue to build on. Uh, that's it for us today. Uh, be safe, and we will see you next time. Thanks again. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you all.